Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Gabriel Hakoen. And I am cult expert and created to be his helpmeet survivor, Sadie Carpenter. How are you doing today, Sadie? How's life? Life life is great. I just got home from my brother's wedding in Alabama. It was fantastic. Mazel tov. Um, And so big congratulations to my brother, his new wife. My my emotional state today dealing with this book is mostly mad. Mad, but you're not like, it didn't horribly trigger you reading this book. Oh, it did. <laughs> oh, it did? Okay. Well, today uh, we are reviewing Created to be His Helpmeet by Debbie Pearl and also Michael Pearl, but mostly Debbie Pearl, but his name is on it too. And this is a book that is basically the expectations of what you are supposed to do if you are married as a woman in fundamentalism. This is your duties as a wife, and you have to live by this book. And if you don't, then bad things will befall you and your family. Yeah. And you may remember the uh, child abuse manual that we read by these two earlier this year. uh, We did an episode with Dr. Shoshana Fagan about their bad ideas about child rearing. And today we're going to hear about their bad ideas about marriage. I'll tell you, Gavi, I actually never, I, I rarely involve my husband in my podcast topics unless it is there are a few things that i think he would usually be interested in like when we did the the episodes on liberty university he had watched the documentary with me so i was updating him on all the additional stuff i was finding but i usually don't talk to him a lot about podcast topics and um, you know, I thought because the theme of this book is submission that I should probably get his permission to make this. <laughs> Kidding. Um, no, I sat him down and read multiple passages from this book because I needed him to understand how bad it was. You've told me how bad it was. And then I read this book. 
I mean, it, it's just all of the things that we think they, there's no way they would actually say that out loud. They say that out loud. They say specifically all like it's, it's right there in print. Um, and we're going to talk about that today <sighs> and it's going to be tough. But before we get into that, the leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, then there are some things that you can do to help support us. You can join our Patreon where we have bonus content. That's right. If you like our episodes there are extended versions of most of our episodes where you get to hear like our extra discussion that just can't quite make it into the episode as far as like time constraints go and those are all uploaded to the patreon so you can find that at patreon.com slash leaving eden podcast you can join our facebook group and our subreddit both of those are called eden exodus so you can go to our uh, facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus or reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus also um, in case you missed it, um, not too long ago, there was a scandal, uh, another scandal that just broke as, as far as the Department of Education investigating Liberty University. We came out with a special episode about that, and you can go back uh, just a couple episodes ago and find that on our podcast feed if you're interested in listening to that. Also, going forward uh, in this fall and this winter season, we are excited that we are going to start maybe doing a few more bonus episodes just on the main feed, not on like the Patreon feed or anything, but a few more bonus episodes on our main feed where we're going to have guests who are other fundamentalism survivors, uh, you know, other pe people who host other like deconstruction podcasts. Um, and we're going to have those going up and I'm really excited to get to have those conversations with those people. Yeah. My, my dad used to say, all boats rise with the tide and i'm excited to introduce our listeners to other creators in this deconstruction space because i don't believe we lose anything by that i think it's a we just expose our listeners to a broader range of perspectives and experiences from people who have survived fund fundamentalism as far as like speaking out about abuse goes the more voices the better absolutely we're excited to be uh, bringing you that kind of content coming in the fall and the winter. I don't know when the first one is going to drop is, but we hope that you guys will tune into those. And we hope that, you know, the, the people that we're going to have on that also have their own shows, we hope that you'll also go over and support their shows as well. Sadie, do you want to give the big thank you to all of our patrons? I would love to. So our I Gave It All patrons are Kathleen Moncrief, Melissa Mosley, and Todd Dale on behalf of Madeline Antrim. Thank you so much to the I Gave It All tier patrons. Thank you guys so much. Uh, the Faith Promise Missions tier patrons are Alex P., Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Autumn of Our Discontent, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dora J., Eleanor Donahue, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton Hears a Shane, Janine Callen, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Kat Henwood, Kate Terwee, Kristen Marie, Learned Vixen, Linda Morgan, 
Lindsay Goss, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Maggie Fink, Marlena Stuve, Marsha Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Rob the Methodist, Stephanie Johnson, Stephen Amy, Susie, Tara McNamara, and Wes the Cowboy. We would not be able to do what we do without our Faith Promise missions, and I gave it all to your patrons. You guys are the best. We love you. We love you. We love you. Welcome to all of our people. I've seen a lot of people joining us on Patreon over the last couple weeks. Wanted to give a shout out and a big welcome to all of those folks. And as always, thank you to the people who support us non-financially by sharing our show with other people, posting us on social media, leaving us a good review on whatever podcast listening app you use, promoting us to family, friends, or your social media audience. We appreciate all of that help as well. All right. Do you want to hit us with the TW and then we can get into the meat of the episode? Yeah, this one's going to be a, a humdinger. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we try very hard to avoid graphic detail unless it's necessary for the story we're telling on that particular day. And we do our best to give the audience a heads up before we go into detail on any of these topics. This episode contains extensive discussion of domestic violence and emotional abuse, including details, discussion of uh, submission in marriage, and discussion of marital rape. There is really, unfortunately, no way to get around repeating these kind of details because those details are necessary to show just how bad this book is. But we will give a heads up anytime we are going to give details on one of those topics so that anyone who needs to use that skip ahead button can do so. Thank you for that. So let's get into it. Earlier this year, we reviewed a book called To Train Up a Child, which was written by Michael and Debbie Pearl. Uh, Michael and Debbie Pearl are a Christian fundamentalist couple from Tennessee. This book is To Train Up a Child is a child abuse manual that claims that if readers follow the right instructions that are provided in the book, then they will raise obedient, God-fearing children. This book is popular within Christian fundamentalism. In the past decade, it has come under scrutiny because the techniques that it promotes are violent and abusive. It has also come under scrutiny because it is a book that was recommended by the Duggar family blog and it has since been removed from that blog due to the scrutiny around the book. It says in, in the beginning of this book, Michael Pearl urged his wife to write a book about how to be a good wife so that other men could experience what he experiences, essentially is the premise of this book. And that's laid out in, I think, the introduction of the book, which is super gross. But this book has sold more than 350,000 copies. Sadie, would you like to tell us about the prevalence of this book in fundamentalism in the environment that you were growing up in? Yes, I have one quick note first. You mentioned that to train up a child promises that if you will follow the recipe for raising children that they printed in that book, exactly, you will almost always get the outcome of obedient and God-loving children. The premise of this book is that if you will follow the recipe for being a good wife, that you will have 
a glorious heavenly marriage. So it's the same. If you do what exactly what I say, you will get a perfect outcome. 99% guaranteed. Well, that's the same appeal as like Bill Gothard with the IBLP. Yes. And this book is more of a crossover appeal, I think, between the IBLP and the IFB. Michael and Debbie Pearl are not IBLP, but their teachings are very, very popular within the IBLP. Their teachings are also popular within the IFB, but this book, created to be his helpmeet, is much more accepted, at least within the corner of the IFB I grew up in. So we read To Train Up a Child, and I talked then about how To Train Up a Child was seen as, well, some of this may go a little too far, or some of this is only necessary for really stubborn children, but there are some good teachings in there. Virtually nobody that I knew growing up did the full blanket training method, for example. But Created to be his Helpmeet was much more prevalent within my section of the IFB. I feel like it was on the bookshelf of just about every woman I knew through church. This book came out in 2004, and I read it as a very young teenager. I'm pretty sure that I was not supposed to be reading it, but I did because I had been taught my entire life that my pre-marriage life was supposed to be entirely spent preparing for marriage and that my married life was supposed to be entirely spent serving my husband. So as a young teenager, I wanted to know exactly what that marriage that I was preparing for was going to look like. I also read the teen version of this book, Preparing to Be a Helpmeet. There was also a follow-up version written by Michael Pearl, which is called Created to Need a Helpmeet. Um, I was absolutely not allowed to read Christian books marketed to men, especially not marriage books aimed toward men. But I usually did sneak them anyway, and I'm sure at some point I skimmed um, Created to Need a Helpmeet. Maybe we should read that for the podcast. Um... Or we should do the other one, uh, preparing to to be a help me. Although I don't think I don't know if anything in there is going to be not in. There is nothing, Gavi. I will have you know, <laughs> there is nothing more boring than a fundamentalist book for teen girls. It's that bad, huh? There is nothing more boring in the entire world. <laughs> Yeah, they don't want you to be too intellectually stimulated because then you might get some ideas. Teenage girls are the bottom of the fundamentalist hierarchy. They do not think you have any thoughts worth thinking in your head. And the books that they will give you are the most just bland, boring, trite, repetitive nonsense. It's awful. <laughs> what, what were your impressions of... Um created to be his helpmeet when you read it. I thought everything in there was correct because this was a book that was really recommended by women that I respected. I do remember reading it and thinking, wow, this is going to be pretty hard when I grow up and get married one day. But thinking that performing the kind of submission described in this book was going to be hard made sense to me. This seemed normal because at ladies' conferences, I was always hearing about how submission is so hard. So it made sense that as I was learning what would be expected of me as a wife, that it seemed like it was going to be hard because that fit right in line with the other messages that I was receiving. 
from women in the church around me and from ladies conferences. The message was men are pretty stupid, but we're supposed to submit to them. And that's what that's part of what makes it hard to submit. But God will magically work things out for you if you live in submission. And they never took the extra step to think, if these guys are so dumb, then maybe we shouldn't be submitting to them. No, like men are dumb, but God magically helps them out. And then God gave you a brain and your own will because you're giving up your own intellect and your own will and handing those things over to your husband and putting him in the driver's seat of your life every single day forever is a gift that you give to your husband. Basically, God made it hard so that you would have to suffer through this process of submission. And God made men dumber <laughs> so that you could suffer extra through this process of submission. Uh, and then God will magically, I mean, not magically, God will use the Holy Spirit to <laughs> lead your husband to make everything work out for you if you give him the beautiful gift of submission. This is an actual quote from Created to Be His Helpmeet. If you successfully do the job of leading the family, you will not find satisfaction in it. It is far better that the job be done poorly by your husband than to be done well by you. Debbie Pearl also in this book prints a letter from a woman who is upset that her CPA husband decided to leave his job as a CPA and go and become a dairy farmer. And this woman's response is basically, this is not what I signed up for. When I married him, I thought he was going to be a CPA and that's a good job. That's, you know, that can sustain us. But he decided he wants to be a dairy farmer. And Debbie Pearl's response is, if God is calling him to be a dairy farmer, then God is calling him to be a dairy farmer. Keep your head up and don't complain. Yeah, because God will make the finances supernaturally work for this family. But as we'll get into later, as we read through some of the parts of this book, the teaching is if the wife is bitter at her husband and complains because he did a career change that she didn't like, God will remove his blessing from the family to punish the wife. That doesn't seem very fair, but okay. <laughs> so yeah, men aren't very smart. But God ordained them to lead, and we have to go along with it. As non-men, we have to go along with it. Also, uh, related teaching, men are animals who can't control themselves, so we better cover up our bodies as much as possible to help them behave like human beings. Can I just, let me take a break before we, before we get into this book. Can I just say how much I hate this for men? Like men who are out there listening, you are enough, okay? <laughs> you are... You are more than a mindless, rabid beast with muscles. You are a fully formed human with deep emotions and a meaningful inner life. You are capable of both practical and emotional intelligence, just as you are capable of physical strength. And those who tell you otherwise are trying to make you their boots on the ground to control and subjugate women, whether you want that or not. The people who tell you men, if there are men listening, I know there's a few of you out there, the people who tell you that you are destined to dominate and lead women are doing that to control you. They are making you do their dirty work for them, and you don't have to stand for that. This doctrine, whether we see it in the religious world or the secular world, strips the humanity from both men and women and people who are neither, 
by ignoring their existence entirely. According to this, you know who I think would be a great president? Well, not a woman, because she's going to blow the world up if she has access to the nuclear codes when she's PMSing hard, 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 hard. No, but for real. Um, you know who would be a good president? Who? Um, if, if we need men in leadership, and these are the qualities of men. Jaws. Not the, not the Bond villain like the shark from the movie Jaws. Okay. <laughs> Just vicious and dangerous and brainless. Yeah. But... <laughs> look at him go you know so, he must be a mr visionary yeah i think he's a mr command man okay the worst superhero ever anyway, <laughs> that's so yeah i read this book um i was way too young i was just i was so young and innocent and i really regret how much this book influenced my perception of myself and my place in the world I thought this was not only the expectation that was set for me, but a reasonable expectation and one that I should be able to fulfill. I knew that my entire life leading up to marriage was supposed to be spent learning how to be the best helper to my husband one day, to be a helpmeet. And then after marriage, my entire life from the morning I, moment I woke up in the morning to I went to sleep at night was supposed to be focused completely around this nameless, faceless man that I would one day marry. And I just prayed that God would make me a good wife and take out parts of myself that would make me, that would hinder me in being a good wife to this nameless, faceless man. Uh, and I prayed that God would pick a good man for me who wouldn't hit me or hurt me. Because as we see from this book, wives who follow these teachings have very little recourse if their husband uh, beats them or sexually abuses them or has unrealistic expectations of them or chooses to cheat on them. You're, it is seen as God chooses your husband. So God can send you a good man who does not hit you or hurt you. But if God happens to send you the kind of man who does hit you or hurt you, that is God's will. And it is God's will for you to endure that and try to win him back to the right path by being a good wife. And it's, it's seen as completely out of your hands. What kind of man God sends you? Just good luck out there. <sighs> and well, can you imagine being like a 13-year-old and that's your expectation of marriage one day? I can't. I really can't. So I, I know that... <sighs> This book was not intended for teenagers, um, but I think a lot of people probably did read it as teens, maybe not as young as I was. And I want to illuminate the damage that that does to a person. Another group of people who this book is not intended for is also men. So Debbie Pearl says in the introduction to this book that men aren't supposed to read this book because she is, as a woman, is not allowed to preach or teach to men. That the doctrine that allows her to write this book and to speak on these issues is the doctrine that elder women can teach younger women about things. Right. Um, it's all based on, I want to quote... It's Titus chapter two. There is a list in that passage of things that older women are supposed to teach younger women <laughs> to be sober, to be vigilant, to love their husbands, things like things like that. And the end of that passage is 
that the word of God be not blasphemed. I know I had it all memorized at one point, but I can't pull it together at the moment. <laughs> the The way that the IFB interpret that verse and the way that a lot of fundamentalists, because um, Debbie Pearl is not IFB, although she is clearly very much a biblical literalist, King James onlyist fundamentalist. But the way that that verse is interpreted is that if older women fail to teach younger women those attributes in that list, then God's word has been blasphemed. So that gives Debbie a weapon to use against people who are reading her book, because that weapon is, if you don't do what I say, then the word of God is blasphemed and you are blaspheming against God. That passage is often used as more of a carrot passage. I'm an older woman and I'm teaching you these things because I love you, but Debbie has chosen to use it as a clobber passage on purpose, very clearly in this book. So I do want to talk really briefly. I wish I had time to get into the entire love story between Debbie and Michael, the way that she wrote it. He was her pastor. They were doing ministry work together. And she kind of flat out came out and said, I want to get married to you and give you babies. And he was freaked out by that, but came back and threw her in the air, like picked her up, threw her and caught her. And they got married eight days later. Um, and their marriage was rough at first until she learned about submission. I The points that I want to make, since I don't have time to get into that entire story from this book, when he threw her in the air, maybe he should have just thrown her and kept running. She also said that she threw rocks at him one point early in their marriage. And I wanted to note that she had the right idea. She had a moment of sanity. I actually want to read a bizarre detail from early in the Pearl's marriage that Debbie Pearl reveals on page 115 of this book. She she reveals some bizarre details of of her marriage to Michael and this is a this is a highly snarkable quote from I'm I'm reading from page 115 of Created to be His Helpmeet. She says I remember the night Michael and I married. My new husband decided we needed to go shopping and cook a meal before we went to bed, which, I mean, honestly, I respect it. You got to eat. This this dude is kind of obsessed with his meal schedule. Having read both this and To Train Up a Child, this dude is like really, really into his precise meal schedule. Dinner is at six o'clock, like that kind of thing. Yeah, there's just there's a bunch in to train up a child about how to get your kids behaved enough that you can have dinner on time when your man comes home from work every single night and how you can get kids to behave at the dinner table so that everybody gets to eat. Um, and then there's a ton in this book about having dinner on time, serving your man nutritious meals and associated garbage, not the nutritious meals. That's good, I guess. Uh, and this kind of, maybe this will set the tone for the rest of the book. In in the story that Debbie tells, she and Michael go to the grocery store less than an hour after they are married. So they got married. Then I guess they don't really have a reception. They're just like, let's go to the grocery store and get some food so we can go cook. And she notices that when they're at the grocery store together, he is buying beef that is at a bad price. And she points out to him that she thinks maybe he's spending a little bit too much on the beef, that there's better beef for less money. And he is shocked because nobody has ever in his life pointed out to him that he has ever done anything wrong before. 
Debbie then feels bad and blames Satan because he told her to point out to her husband that he is wasting money less than one hour after they are married. I must be Satan then because that is 100% something I would do. I mean, you clip coupons for a living, not for a living, but like, I mean, you, you clip clip coupons coupons so that I can stand to buy the comfort foods that my husband wants because I'm a submissive wife. Do you want to let us know like what the format of this book is like? So a decent amount of this book is taken up with a Bob Larson-esque I got a letter from somebody and it asks the perfect question to illustrate the point that I want to make. Dear Debbie Pearl, AKA like dear Krabby. (laughs) That's good. Before this book was published, the Pearls had a popular fundamentalist website and they published tons and tons of articles along the same topics that are going to be discussed in this book. People would write in, email in to the website to get an answer from the Pearls about whatever questions it was that they had. And some of those emails have been printed, hopefully with the writer's permission, in this book. So Debbie will print the email and her original response and then expound on what she believes to be the scriptural reasons why she gave the response that she did. So this book was originally published in 2004, but the edition that I'm reading from is uh, from 2010. Anyway, the main point of this book is, as we've said before, if you are in a marriage, God has chosen this man for you to be your leader, and it is your job to make his life as easy as possible so that he can lead your family in the right direction. And if you are hard-headed or you have opinions or you bring too much of yourself and your personality into the marriage, then you're husband will acquiesce to a more secondary role and will not be the leader that he was chosen to be by God. And this point is illustrated in the first chapter of the book in a letter that Debbie Pearl receives from a woman named Liz. This woman tells Debbie that she and her husband were having problems in their marriage and it didn't seem like things were clicking. Debbie gave Liz advice to essentially minimize herself and Liz's letter thanks Debbie for her advice and claims that the results of this advice were very good. Can I, can I read this quote? Yeah. So this is a quote from the original letter or from Debbie's response. I think this is a quote from Debbie's response. Okay. She says, um, men are created to be helpers of God. Jesus willingly became a helper of the father. The Holy spirit became a helper to the son society is structured so that men and women must submit to authorities like government, employers, police, the Internal Revenue Service, child protection agencies, the courts, etc. There is no loss of dignity in subordination if it serves a higher purpose. God made you to be a helpmeet to your husband so you can bolster him, making him more productive and efficient at whatever he chooses to do. You are not the board of directors with an equal vote. You have no authority mm. to set the agenda. But if he can trust you, he will make you his closest advisor, his confidant, his press secretary, his head of state, his vice president, his ambassador, his public relations expert, maybe even his speechwriter at his discretion. From page 33 mm-hmm. of Created to Be His Help Me by Debbie Pearl. Okay, uh, feminism rage break. Can you make a little song for that? 
Yeah, um, it'll be like Riot Girl Anthem, you know, like that kind of thing. I'm not the goddamn vice president of my own life. I am the co-president of my family, and I am perfectly happy to be one of two leaders in my family, uh, as I sometimes submit to my husband's choices and he sometimes submits to mine. But I'm not the vice president of my own damn life. So, okay, that was it. You can play the outro music. So Liz felt loved by her husband when things were going well or when he was being extra nice to her, but then she didn't feel loved by him when things didn't go well or he didn't go out of his way to be extra nice to her. I do think there's a kernel of truth here because if you only feel loved by your spouse when life is going well and they're going out of their way to do extra things for you, And then otherwise, if life stress comes up and they don't have time to get you flowers or cook a meal for you or spend time with you or whatever it is that they do that makes you feel loved, something is definitely off. To me, this sounds like a situation where the partner who doesn't feel loved when things aren't going great could use to work on themselves and their insecurities But they also should have a conversation with their partner like, hey, I struggle with feeling unloved sometimes. Here are some small things that you could do to help me with that. Like both people, if one partner does not feel loved most of the time in a marriage, both partners need to step up to try to fix that. Right? Like he might not even know that there's a problem if she doesn't tell him that there's a problem. Right. If you if you feel that way. Your partner needs to step up to make you feel more loved, and you need to take initiative to work on those insecurities that make you feel that way. This is a two-person job, but instead, Debbie decided to tell Liz that it would be better to just have no needs or feelings at all. Like you said, just minimize herself. A lot of this brand of Christian marriage teaching goes back to the doctrine of becoming one flesh, a more egalitarian or even like very light complementarian take might be that the husband and wife become one flesh by both being physically intimate and by functioning in society as a unit. They become one flesh by looking out for one another's needs and interests in every area of life. But the fundamentalist take is more literal because of biblical literalism. They teach that you literally become just one person. What that boils down to in practice is that you become one person and that one person is your husband. And the wife is simply an extension of him, an extra set of hands. I I feel like maybe I repeat myself too much when I talk about this topic, but I still see outsiders misunderstand or understate this almost every time. This is 100% literally a message to married women that says, be as little of your own person as you can be and try to make every breath and every action an extension of your husband. And this is so hard for outsiders to understand because women and AFAB people and all other and all non-men people out in the real world have the concept of being a human being. Like even when they've experienced misogyny or they've been they've experienced being treated as less of a person because of their gender or their sex, those experiences were unpleasant and disgusting variations from the norm. They were not the norm of what their life has always been. 
And that's great. I'm glad that some people have had that experience. But people who were raised on the outside seem to really struggle to comprehend being a full-time personal assistant and fixer to someone else for free. I know I'm usually the analogy person around here, but I can't even come up with an analogy that is comprehensive enough to explain this concept. So the next section of the book is about joyfulness. Um, Yeah, Yeah, I haven't been very joyful in this episode. I need to fix that. Yeah, we need to fix that. Sadie, you need to get more joyful. Um, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. Yeah, that's what, we, that's what Sadie, we're doing. Sadie, triggers yourself. Triggers yourself again. That was me triggering you. <laughs> <laughs> Do we get a second and theme song of our, for when it's your fault? Um, Gavi triggered you guys again. Um, and no, but it it is important according to debbie pearl it's important to always be joyful and i want to read you a story that debbie tells because this is just wild it's uh, this story is called uh, is titled in the book the se- the title of the story is one ugly hillbilly oh also i'm going to uh put a tw for uh, uh fat phobia in this yeah. story. um she writes A few years back, there was an overweight hillbilly woman who worked in the local store in our hometown. Every time we went to the hardware store, several men would be standing around the counter talking to her, and they would always be laughing. We usually had to wade through the cheerful crowd and interrupt the gaiety to get served. Her warm admirers reminded me of bees around the honey, buzzing with high interest. The strange thing was that this woman was ugly. I mean, hillbilly ugly, which is worse than regular ugly, of course. One day, we were leaving the store. I laughingly brought my husband's attention to those men standing around to the sales clerk. His reply really surprised me. Oh, you mean that cute little lady? Live and learn. A few weeks later, we saw her in the grocery store. She was mad at her very obese daughter for grabbing a handful of candy. Gone were the smiles, giggles, and radiance that so captivated everyone at the hardware store. In their place was a bitter, ugly snarl. My husband remarked when we left the grocery store, haven't we seen that woman somewhere before? She looks familiar, but I just can't place her. When I told him who she was, he was stunned. No, it's not possible. It just can't be her. The woman in the hardware store does not look like that. I could see the truth dawn on him, and he was so disappointed. The funny thing was that the woman looked just like she always did. She was the same size, same scraggly hairstyle, the same clothes style, the same everything she was when I saw her in the hardware store. All she lacked was her glorious smile. It was her most valuable asset. Her face was always so radiant her smile so infectious, her laughter so sweet, her eyes so earnest that people simply saw her as cute. I don't know if she has a husband, but I am sure she could have had a dozen different men in that small town as long as they never saw her in the grocery store mad at her daughter. Um, And that is from page 38 to 40 of Created to be His Helpmeet. In the 2011 edition, because mine is different. Uh, also, it okay. Number one, there was no point in 
unnecessarily fat shaming a child that was extraneous and could have been cut and that would have made no difference to the story. Debbie's just being mean on purpose, uh, bullying a child. Surprise, surprise. Also, it kind of sounds like Debbie has a crush on this lady. Low key, yeah. Her face was always so radiant, her smile so infectious, her laughter so sweet, and her eyes so earnest that people simply saw her as cute. I mean, we found out earlier this year that purity culture is like just repressed, internalized homophobia. But yeah, A of all, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Second, I also find it pretty weird that Debbie Pearl is like the person who is writing in a book how unattractive it is to see a woman who is reprimanding or disciplining a misbehaving child. Yeah, uh, this was definitely a teaching I saw pop up in my upbringing like a ton. Women should be smiling and putting on a positive front 100% of the time, if humanly possible. I mean, even when they're beating their children, which is psychotic. Oh, yeah, especially especially when they're beating their children, because that's meant to show that getting punished is good for you. So this is, it goes on to talk about how, you know, if you don't smile at your husband, he won't think you like him anymore and he'll leave you for somebody else, which we're going to get into more about in a minute, <laughs> unfortunately. But the, the thing is that even when the advice is good, it's bad. Like this advice, if you take out all the nastiness, if Debbie had just written, smile at your partner more, it's sexy. That is perfectly good advice. It doesn't need to be gendered. It doesn't need to be nasty. But making a point of smiling at your partner is great marriage advice. Like you, we forget to let our smile like light up the room when our spouse walks into the room, especially like those of us who have been in a long-term relationship for a while or married for a while, we maybe still feel a little bit of that joy and those butterflies that we did when way back when we met that person, you felt butterflies when they walked in a room, you smiled every time you saw them because you were just so happy to see them. And we probably still feel a little bit of that or a lot of that, but we forget to show it on our face. So purposely letting the feelings in your heart show on your face when your partner walks in the room, that's good marriage advice. But Debbie can't give good marriage advice. She takes decent advice and twists it with all just every manner of toxicity. That's a theme that's going to come back. I want to move on just a little bit to talking about cheating. Yeah, so we we are going to talk about um this this is just really this is just really gross and misogynistic and awful. Just FYI. Yeah, uh TW for uh just I I mean, I guess you're listening to this episode already. So, Debbie Pearl responds to a letter from a woman with a cheating husband with a quote from her husband Michael. Um and I want to read this quote for you. And this is a Michael Pearl quote and he says no man has ever crawled out from under his wife's criticism to be a better man, no matter how justified her condemnation. Mm -hmm. If so, if you ever say anything negative to your husband, there is a zero percent chance that he will change that thing about yes. him he's doing. Because this is another like all men are this way, all women are this way fallacy. But if you criticize, we're taught, if you criticize anything that your husband ever does, he will keep that thing the same forever because his pride as a man is so inflated 
that he would destroy himself if he allowed himself to change the thing that you had criticized. So don't say anything about your husband's dirty socks being left on the floor because if you say something about it one time, he will leave those socks on the floor forever because that is the way that God made him. And then when he gets judged by God for the sin of slothfulness, it's not his fault because you caused it. Although interestingly, he never gets judged by God for the sin of pride. So Right. Because God made him that way. But don't go thinking that God made our LGBTQ plus brothers, sisters, and siblings the way that they are, because that's heresy. This criticism doesn't just go to your husband leaving dirty socks on the floor. This criticism also goes to if your husband is cheating on you. She says in this book is that if your husband is cheating on you, it's your fault because he's obviously getting something from outside that you're not providing to him. And if you act coldly towards him or withhold sex from him, that will only make him want to cheat on you more. Debbie says that you must step up your game and openly compete with, I guess, if your husband is cheating on you with his secretary as the person in the letter, you have to like basically step your game up and compete with the secretary for your husband's affections. And you should also act more needy and more helpless because this will activate your husband's primal instincts as a protector and a provider. And she finishes up by saying, God is on your side, fight and win, page 47 of two of created to be his helpmeet. And this is a doctrine that we have talked about before. This is prevalent in fundamentalism. But this is also weirdly a doctrine that like incentivizes men to cheat on their wives, which makes sense because this is like a doctrine that was clearly invented by men because so like if you cheat on your wife, then now she's she's never going to leave you. She'll just now have to put in twice as much effort because she knows that she's replaceable. This is like comically toxic. This is like the gospel according to future level of toxic. If if your husband cheats on you and you don't like it, you're criticizing, you're nagging, you're being a negative Nancy. And then no wonder he goes after other women. They probably don't criticize him or nag him. This is the most gaslighting. This is incredible. Yes, it's awful. And, and you know, he is going off to work. He's seeing other women who put themselves together and are more presentable for work. And, you know, of course, by these teachings, you are a stay at home wife and mom. And, wait, well, maybe you should be getting up an hour before your kids get up to do your hair just right and put on makeup. So this is a this is a take I heard a ton growing up. Uh, I remember the former Mrs. Scop saying something about if your husband likes blonde hair or if you see him flirting with his blonde haired secretary, go and dye your hair blonde. I don't know if this is like sad or terrifying, but if your wife sees you like talking to a blonde haired woman and then shows up at dinner the next day with blonde hair being like, how do you like it? You like it better than her? <laughs> like that is extremely intimidating. Yeah. There was also a, a thing about red lipstick, I think in the romance and marriage a book by Bob and Joe Beth Hooker, there was a thing about red hair or wearing different types of wigs. But yeah, if your husband has a physical type that is ever so slightly different than what you actually look like, uh, you should go and change your entire appearance, whether you like it or not, in order to appeal to him. Like this was, um, this is one that still gets to me because there was a whole trend in First Baptist Hammond, Hiles Anderson brand fundamentalism in around. 2009 to 2012, roughly, of let your husband just choose your clothes. There was a 
fundy permutation of secular fashion trends at the time was a very, very specific look. It was often a A-line or full knee-length skirt with um, like Mary Jane heels were really, really, really popular. Mary Jane heels or Oxford heels were really trendy. A very wide belt, at least four inches wide, patent leather belt, a bright primary color ruffled blouse, and then big giant plastic earrings, rings, statement necklaces, bracelets that match the color of the blouse, and then often some kind of hairpiece like a clip-in flower or clip-in fascinator that matched the color. So you'd have like a black skirt, red blouse, red Mary Jane heels, red earrings, red lipstick, red rings, red bracelets, and a big red flower pinned in your hair. That's it's like, a very like yeah, it's almost like a Lolita fashion, honestly. Interesting. That's Yeah, but, it's like Lolita meets pinup. Like as far as fashion goes. But that was also what Jack Scop was really into. Right. So this was like highly, highly trendy in fundamentalist fashion, especially FBC, HHAC fashion, right around the time that I was coming into adulthood. And I never liked that fashion, so I didn't wear it very often. But there was a whole thing because some of the husbands loved it, loved, thought it was the cutest thing. And some of the husbands didn't like it. And it was well, well known that Jack Scop just loved this very juvenile fashion style. Huh. Wonder what that says about Jack Scop. Convicted child abuser, Jack Scop. Anyway, <laughs> there was a whole kerfluffle in ladies' fundamentalist circles because the men were so divided on this trend. Some of them loved it. Some of them hated it and could not stand to see their wives look like that. So it was very much, you should just let your husband dress you. And Cindy would talk about, the former Mrs. Scott would talk about how she would literally just let her husband approve every single outfit and go shopping with her and buy her whatever he wanted her to wear. Which is heartbreaking because we know what that same man did to her a year later. What if your husband's thing is that he wants your hair dyed maybe unnatural colors? You can do any color that people naturally grow. So you could do like various shades of red, but some mm -hmm. extremely like if you did like a red red, then it might be pushing it a little bit. Exactly. I had manic panic vampire red hair at one point, and that would have been on the edge of a no-no. So that's like showing if you're fundy doing that, you're like, I'm still fundy and this is allowed, but it's like, I'm a little edgy doing that. That's a lot edgy. That is like way barely, barely allowed. But this is one that gets to me because hair dye and fashion were some kind of hot button marital issue in the IFB. Like as I was coming into late teens and early adulthood, there was a lot of talk about if your husband wants you to wear a certain type of lipstick or, or type of clothing or dye your hair a certain color, you need to let your husband dictate that part of your appearance. But y'all know, I like to dye my hair all sorts of fun colors, and I don't like to, I don't usually stick with one color more than about a year. And I still get anxious about whether my husband will like the new color or not. So I'm always asking him, 
like, is it okay if I do purple next? And he's just like Derek Dillard answering me like, babe, it's your hair. Do whatever you want. It's growing out of your head. Shave it off if you want to. It's your hair. Another hypothetical. What if you are a married fundy woman and your husband was to cheat on you with a girl that has like lots of tattoos and piercings. Are you allowed to get lots of tattoos and piercings because that's what he's into? No, but you would be allowed to get temporary tattoos and fake piercings. The only exception to doing whatever your husband wants is if he is asking you to sin. I remember growing up, there was a story passed around all the time about a woman whose husband was an alcoholic and he was always wanting her to have just one drink with him. I think this story may have even included him physically abusing her when she turned him down. And he was like, every night, just have one drink with me. Come on, just have one drink with me. And she consistently turned him down over and over and over again. But eventually he came back to Jesus because she had a good testimony. Which as I, you know, (laughs) from what I hear, that's what being married to somebody who has a chemical dependency usually turns out like. Uh, not like they got a ton of help and and now they are a better partner to me or like they got worse and worse and they were no longer able to be a partner to me no you just usually you just love them back to jesus also i do think that their care i mean we've talked about this before but their characterization of people who consume any amount of alcohol is always just way out there it's very much Mm -hmm. the realm of jim bob Try offering to send Eric <laughs> to rehab because there was a picture of him on an internet on the internet drinking a beer. Yeah. No, but I do ask these questions, like these hypotheticals, because it shows me where the priorities are. Like when we talked about Jephthah a few weeks ago, when it was obedience versus biblical literalism, obedience won out. I want to move on to the next story in this. Hold book. on, I have one more thing about the tattoos and piercings, though. Oh, go for it. Let's say your husband really has a thing, like a sexual thing for tattoos and piercings, and he asks you to buy a bunch of fake tattoos and a bunch of fake piercings and put them all over yourself because like, that's what really turns him on. And let's say that, that you, as the wife in this hypothetical, really do not like how that looks on your body and it bothers you to see your body with a bunch of fake tattoos and piercings on it because that's not how you want to look, you are still expected to do it. Like 100%, you have to do Mm. it. Mm. Because if your husband has like a sex thing that is not explicitly sinful by their standards and will not physically harm you, you are absolutely 100% expected to do it. I mean, and there's a lot of people out there who, and there's a lot of couples out there where one person will have a thing that they're into and their partner will be like, this isn't for me, but I'll do it for you. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. And what's the difference, Gabby? The difference is that you are coerced into doing it and you are told you have to do this and you don't have the option of saying no. Yeah. Consent. Because when you only have one option or one viable option, in a scenario like that, there is no opportunity for consent. There is, because consent requires the person doing the consenting to have another choice, to have an out or another viable option. And if the options are do this thing that your husband likes that you do not want to do, or 
blaspheme God and be in rebellion to your husband and draw down the fire of heaven on your home in a bad way. There, that is that is not an opportunity for consent. I want to move on to the next, uh, or the next section of the book, at least, where Debbie Pearl goes on to address women who were not raised fundamentalist or even Christian, for that matter. And I think it's funny the conclusion that she jumps to about what your life must be like if you're not a Christian. Uh, and I read this quote from page 69. Nice. Nice. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You think it's too late for you. You are struggling on your second or third marriage to an unbelieving porn addict, or you are suffering through emotional scars from your godless youth. <laughs> I want you to know something wonderful about Jesus. <laughs> Do you think that she's making this up? Or do you think that she has actually literally never met a non-fundamentalist woman in a happy marriage? I think that like, I mean, where's she from? She's from like Tennessee. Middle Tennessee. There is almost sometimes just a very black and white dichotomy between you either do all the sins or you're Christian now and you're not doing all the sins. Maybe the peop maybe the non- Christian or non-fundamentalist, like egalitarian Christian, people that she has met have not opened up to her about their marriage. Like maybe it's a sample bias rather than an outright lie. It's interesting when you get out in the real world because I know tons of people who are not any kind of religious and have what I would consider good marriages. I know people who are stay-at-home moms for non-religious reasons because it makes the best sense for their family. I even know people who got married to their first ever sexual partner for non-religious reasons and are happy and have good marriages. Like you meet all sorts of people when you get out in the real world and you realize that it's not all or nothing. So I want to read this next letter and this one, okay, so we're going to say uh, TW on this one for spousal abuse mm -hmm. and, and, and domestic abuse. Uh, no details, but um, so this letter says, Dear Debbie, how can I have a merry heart when my husband treats me harshly? Do I just pretend he is a good man instead of a lazy TV watching selfish jerk? Do I just let him walk on me? How can I have a merry heart when all I feel is pain? Her response to this is, it doesn't take a good man or even a saved man for a woman to have a heavenly marriage but it does take a woman willing to honor God by being the kind of wife God intended. Ugh. Yeah, it, it's literally, there are a lot of letters in this book that bring up the husband watching TV and the wife does not approve of having television in their home at all. She can't criticize him. She can't ask him to stop watching it because that's criticism and then he'll never change it. And then she's got a negative spirit. But she feels a religious conviction that they should not have t TV in the home at all. So, well, my husband's supposed to be my spiritual leader. He's supposed to be the one who's setting the standards for the home. And I do not feel like his standards are anywhere close to where they need to be. What the heck am I supposed to do? This one is just hard to read because all she says, all I feel is pain. That's not something that somebody writes lightly. No. Not in a, a grown adult. Like a teenager might write that if they're like really in their feelings about something, but like a grown adult, right? Like a grown married adult woman. Right, with children. Writing, all I feel is pain. Or possibly having children. 
Mm. And Debbie just says, well, you just need to be the right kind of wife. And she writes like she writes three pages where she tells the woman that God intended mar- like this marriage and that she should just suck it up and smile and be obedient and be subservient. And I think that one of Debbie Pearl's most interesting characteristics here is like her willingness to say the quiet part out loud. I I mean she it's just basically if your husband is abusing you just be just like suck it up and take it and be sweet and be kind to him and and he will hopefully appreciate you and come back to the lord and i want to direct you to a chapter called the beginning of wisdom which is on on, so on page 91 she quotes three different books from the bible and the quote that she quotes reads fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom and and two of these are from proverbs one of them is from psalms she says that many ministers are unwilling to adequately talk about fear Uh, she provides no evidence to back this up but i approve i assume that the that she's referring to uh ministers who are like the other christians who aren't kjv who aren't like fundamentalists and the point that she's making in this chapter is that if you aren't adequately afraid of god then you will make poor life decisions and your life will turn out badly as a result she also makes it clear that she doesn't mean fear as in like fear with a little f like if I make bad decisions, there will be natural consequences to those actions that might affect me or other people. She means like capital F fear, as in, if I disobey the commandments, then God will curse me. From what we know about Debbie Pearl, this makes absolute sense, because in the spring, when we reviewed To Train Up a Child with a a mental health professional, Dr. Shoshana Fagan, we discussed Lawrence Kohlberg's six stages of moral development and how fundamentalism and these Pearl books especially are created to never let people advance past the first stage of moral development, which is obedience and punishment. And by harping on fear of God and fear being the beginning of wisdom, she once again espouses the belief that the point of existing is to avoid displeasing the Lord and then avoiding receiving punishment. Reading this book almost makes me feel sorry for her. But like... Mm. Like having a peek into her mind is upsetting. I consider just how miserable her existence must be if she sees no other purpose in her life than avoiding punishment. But I don't feel too sorry for her because her unwillingness to grow to a higher plane of moral development and deconstruct this belief and instead continue to be an advocate for abuse and for abusers and continue to enforce oppression on other women like i think that she's pitiful i said this one hurt to read yeah it does because if you're taught that disappointing your spouse at all is equivalent to disobeying and blaspheming god then putting the right amount of salt in your husband's breakfast kind of becomes a big freaking deal wearing exactly what he wants and looking the way he wants you to look becomes a very big deal little things like the ac temperature in the car or big things like him wanting another baby when you don't all of these are commandments directly from god and disrespecting your husband is exactly equivalent to disrespecting god there's a letter later in the book that we don't have in our notes document here where a woman talks about um wanting to be quiverful she wants to keep on having more babies And her husband did not, her husband wanted her to use um, some form of birth control. She refused because she believed by her fundamentalist beliefs um, that 
She incorrectly believed that many forms of hormonal birth control are abortive, which is incorrect, but is a very common misconception uh, in fundamentalism at large. And her husband ended up leaving her with five children because he refused to have sex with her because she refused to use any kind of birth control. And Debbie Pearl blamed this woman. Debbie said, well, look at you. Now you're all alone because you didn't listen to what your husband said. You should have respected God more. That's crazy. The tagline on this book is discover how God can make your marriage glorious. Uh, Gabby, you're a man. Would you agree with me that men like to get their way? I mean, I think everyone likes to get their way. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, People like to get their way. The gender is, that was a trick question. Gender is, is really irrelevant here. People like to get their way. I can think of a lot of people who would be super duper uncomfortable if their spouse or their committed partner came to them and said, God told me that you were supposed to be head of our household and totally in charge of everything. And I am supposed to exist only to make your life more comfortable and to make all your wishes come true. Cool. Like, I'd be pretty uncomfortable if my husband came to me and said that. I think you'd be pretty uncomfortable if your girlfriend came to you and said that. Yes. Wouldn't feel great. I, I can't be f-ing taking up my mind making every goddamn decision in my life. <laughs> That's like, oh, man. So that would be uncomfortable. But can you think of how people would feel if their spouse or their committed partner just silently started letting them have their way all of the time if your partner just went out of their way every single day to make your life easier it's a lot more subtle and i think a lot of us would catch on eventually wait something's not right here but i think it would be a lot more comfortable than having your partner approach you and say okie dokie dokie god told me to let you make all the decisions (laughs) And that second type is what this book recommends. There are a few cases where it will recommend that wives fall at their husband's feet and declare their submission and apologize for every way that they've ever been their own person with their own desires, wants, or ideas. That that idea occasionally will come up in this book and others like it. But much more often, this book and others like it recommend that wives and only wives silently change just flip the switch and start going along with everything your husband says. And I think my little theory is that this is easier for the husband to overlook in the short term. And by the time he notices, human nature kicks in and not even a bad man, but a weak man might very easily decide to just keep letting his wife behave that way rather than putting in the effort for equality. And that's how, that's why we don't try to characterize all fundamentalist men or all biblical patriarchy men as Dr. Evil level monsters. Or Jim Bob Duggar level monsters. Right. Plenty of them are, don't get me wrong. But this is my theory on how these patriarchal systems attract men who are something other than monsters because of the way that it's recommended that people implement these ideas in their marriages. I mean, it's like heroin. Yeah. It's a sne- it's sneaky. 
sneaking a little bit of something into your food to and not telling you. Yeah, it's how I developed an immunity to iocane powder. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> elite reference, but there you go. You. Um, we're going to take up the offering, and when we come back, we're going to uh, talk about more stuff from this book, uh, more stories, and I, the, the first half of this episode has been kind of rough, don't get me wrong, but there's some really rough stuff coming. We're going to get through it together. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. Hi, I'm Tracy. And I'm Sharon. And we are Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters. So way back in the 1970s, we became radical Christians in the Jesus movement. We were promoted to leadership in the crazy cult commune, Last Days Ministries, founded by none other than Christian music megastar Keith Green. Now we're sharing our decades-long escape from the trauma and abuse of extreme Christianity. We tell our own stories and also invite guests to talk about fundamentalism, purity culture, arranged marriages, child abuse. Abuse, misogyny, homophobia, <laughs> power-hungry patriarchy, huh, and much more. Much, much more. So join us as we share our journey of healing and humor and how we finally found peace and joy on the other side. Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters, wherever you get your podcasts. We are back from our break. We are talking about... Sadie, o- over the break, I was thinking about this. You know, Lori Alexander, the transformed wife. Mm-hmm. This is the book that Lori Alexander read, and it convinced her to change. This is the book that turned her into the transformed wife. That she read this book, mm-hmm. and she's like, I am transformed now, and I'm going to submit to my husband. Yeah, this is the one. And that's why I kind of hate Debbie Pearl more than I hate Lori Alexander. Because she's like the the big bad. She's the one that influenced it. 
Yeah. And because also because Lori is, I feel like mental, like Lori is not mentally fully culpable. Like she's horrible and she is culpable for the nasty, nasty things that she says, but she's not mentally 100% there. Deb, I think Debbie is more in control of her own life and chooses. Debbie's is more of an intentional choice to hurt others. But the thing that made me think of that was I was just remembering how fat phobic uh, mm-hmm. J-Rod also is. And right. then I made And J-Rod has been heavily influenced by Debbie Pearl. And I remembered how much we talked about that in our episode with Jen that we did when we talked about Lori Alexander. But this is the book that uh, without this book, we would not have the men prefer debt free virgins without tattoos banger tweet that Lori <laughs> yeah. Alexander gave us. We would not have the men prefer debt free virgins without tattoos Riley Reed meme that got made out of it. Uh, so there is that. Um, but I want to move on to uh, another story that is told in this book. And I want your. Th- this one also, like all of these stories, kind of hurt to hear. But this one is from page 96 to 98 of the version that I have. I don't know what page it is on your version. Um, but Debbie Pearl tells a story of a woman who moved to their community in Tennessee with her husband and children. This woman had pushed her husband to give up his successful business career to basically stay at home with the children and live on what God provides. This turned out to be a ruinous decision. They kept having more children and they ran out of money because nobody was working. And when they did get some money, this woman's first instinct was to tithe it to the church, which Michael and Debbie Pearl cautioned against. If you or I were looking at the story, you could see that clearly this woman has been taken in by some cult-like thinking, some magical thinking, possibly believing some prosperity gospel or televangelist version of Christianity, and she needs to deconstruct that so that she stops bringing financial ruin and calamity upon her family. Michael and Debbie Pearl's response to this is she believed she was bringing her husband closer to the Lord, but rather than being her husband's helpmeet, she was trying to be his conscience instead. And that is a bad role for women to play. Women's intuition is actually rebellion against God. Well, women thinking at all is actually rebellion against God. I don't know. It just bothers me so much that they're willing to say, yes, this is your fault that you made this decision and it was a bad decision. But rather than saying, whoever you're listening to who is telling you to do this or whoever, whatever you is convicting you of telling you to do this, that's a bad and they shouldn't be doing that because clearly this is bad and this shouldn't be happening. Rather than saying that, their thing is, well, clearly it's because you're a woman. The the whole thing over and over again is even if you feel like your husband's choices are not good, you still should go along with them. Also, like the thing that I'm thinking about when she says that she's, when they finally did get their hands on some money, she wanted to tie the back of the church. That's not a belief that just pops up in somebody's head. That's a belief that comes from somewhere. That's a belief that somebody from a pulpit will have been preaching to this person, to this woman. Right. But in true Christian patriarchy, 
Your husband is your direct authority, not your pastor. The pastor is the direct authority over the men. So if your husband and your pastor say something different, you are supposed to go with what your husband says. Um, I have a quote here that I think is just like gross, but I just wanted to call attention to it because it jumped out at me. Um, and she says, by the time many women are entering their 40th year, they are teetering on the edge of mental instability. They have spent several years of their life irritated at their husbands, daily feeling hurt and responding with coldness and bitterness instead of practicing being thankful and merry. They are practicing bitterness. A follow-up quote, do you think God could have used Mary for the mother of Jesus if she had allowed herself to become an emotional wreck when her environment was not clean or orderly? That is a quote, man. That is... <laughs> yeah, this is after a story where a wife told her, like, a wife thought they needed to get gas, and the husband did not think they needed to get gas, and she would normally feel really anxious about it. And like, uh, he, I wanted to scream to him to go back in the city and get gas. I could see the gas gauge. It was totally empty. I kept quietly raging to God that this was the exact reason why I had to take control since he is the most irresponsible man and does not make wise decisions. I was so nervous. I was almost sick. But for the first time, I kept my mouth shut. And because she kept her mouth shut and did not criticize her husband about the gas, God provided a gas station where he was able to get gas instead of leaving their, leaving them in their car with all of their children stranded in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. God provided a gas station? God provided a gas station because this letter writer deci just decided to not have anxiety or not act on her anxiety. ExxonMobil is God's favorite company. Well, and like as a person who, like it, it resonates deeply. I was so nervous. I was almost sick. Like th this woman has anxiety. That's just, that's just called like, like you have an anxiety disorder and your husband is being not, he, your husband is being very inconsiderate and irresponsible by doing things that he has a reasonable reason to know will activate your anxiety disorder. But also, I do get the feeling that since you're not allowed to talk to your husband about any emotional issues you may be experiencing, because that is part of the doctrine of the fundamentalist culture that they grow up in, she wouldn't be able to say, listen, I get high anxiety. So if we could be more cautious just about like various things that's not going to like give us a bigger issue or, or like that's not going to be a huge inconvenience but just maybe keep the gas a little bit more full like things like mm -hmm. that if you explain it that way most people are gonna say oh yeah for sure for sure absolutely i'm not gonna let it get that low then thanks for explaining that to me exactly like i have a husband i have a diagnosed anxiety disorder uh my anxiety disorder is my it's a me disorder my husband is not responsible for walking on eggshells and protecting me from any little thing that could trigger my anxiety disorder. That's not his job. I'm my own person. However, we needed to turn the furnace on in our new house for the first time. And he knows that like a burning smell is a huge, huge anxiety trigger for me. Thank you, fundamentalist teachings about hell. I have... <laughs> Seriously. Um, That's what I should just get you a, a, brim, a brimstone candle. 
so <laughs> so but he know he knows that like fire and burning smells are a huge huge trigger for me so he turned the furnace on for the first time when i like he told me before he did it and then it came on for the first time while i was sleeping and he went and turned it off because he didn't want me to wake up to that burning smell because he knows that that would just unnecessarily set me off and he cares no but that's just something that you do when you're either friends with people or when you're i mean it's yes. just like that it's just a normal ass thing to do is take care of your partner when they have an anxiety disorder and you know what some of their biggest triggers are. But there's, I mean, there also is just a certain amount of machismo that goes around with this culture where like taking any level of, like you just kind of got to, they just kind of expect you to raw dog everything. <laughs> Not even like if, if you take any precautions then that's weakness. Yeah. And it's just, Aside from this, this book isn't entirely terrible advice. Um, as we've said earlier, there is some good advice in here, even if it's phrased in the most terrible way possible. And I want to go to chapter seven as an example. Do you, do you mind if I do? Go for it. Here's a letter that Debbie Pearl and Michael Pearl get. And it says, Dear Pearls, my heart is heavy. I desire with my whole heart to bring our children up in the ways of God. They are ages two and five. My deep concern is this. My husband has been deceived into thinking that various TV programs and commercials are not harmful to him or the children. He lets the fact that they are humorous dismiss the fact that they are crude and subtly being used to chip away at the spirit of our family. This woman has an issue with some TV shows that her husband is allowing the children to watch because she doesn't like the humor. Debbie Pearl's answer to this is, if you keep bothering your husband about this, he will leave you for his secretary. And she goes on to paint uh -huh. a dramatic <laughs> picture of what life is like for a divorced single mother. Like she says, in an ideal world, he would raise his standards. But if you keep nagging him, then the outcome will be the most will be the worst because these children will grow up without a father. What I think is interesting wow. is, I mean, that's go to chapter seven it's right at the beginning of chapter seven is she tells this story i because usually fundamentalism is stricter is always better but as we've talked about today you have to follow your husband and following your husband is supersedes the stricter is always better doctrine um but i was wondering if this possibly goes contrary to the uh flirt and convert slash uh, flirty fishing play that you can no flirt and convert is for people who are not your husband Okay, so you can flirt with somebody and, and get them in and then you get married to them, but then they could say, actually, no, we're not this fundy. Right. That's kind of the, uh, in the fundamentalist way of thinking, that's the kind of the danger of it. So is that encouraged or that is that like, it's a risk, like it's a risky play, but- Really, really, so the IFB do not really encourage flirty fishing type stuff at all you will hear people like carissa collins talks about going to nightclubs and then finding men and witnessing to them or trying to get them to go to church with her like that was her play that's it's really not encouraged in the ifb because if you flirt with somebody and then don't get married you gave them a tiny piece of your heart that you will never get back and you don't want to do that because you want to have a whole and pure heart to give to your space your future spouse on your wedding day well, according to Ginger Duggar, uh, Jesus can provide you with a new heart. 
whenever Jesus. you want. Um, so the IFB really very rarely uses that kind of method beyond like, I'm a pretty girl and I'm smiling at you and telling you about Jesus. Like that's about as far as it goes for the IFB. Um, you do see people like Jill Rodriguez, who her husband came into the church and she was a teenager and she kind of was hoping that he would continue to convert to IFB so that they could get married one day. She was very much younger than him. Seven years younger, by which I mean she was 13 and he was 20. Yikes. Yeah. But the the actual like flirt, flirty fishing is not an IFB tactic. It will very rarely be used. Like you will see IFB women who flirted with a non-IFB man, got him to come to church. He did fully convert and then they became a fundy family together. But typically what I saw in the IFB is those men are the most devout. They're not the ones who are going to turn around and say, actually, I'm going to watch TV with commercials in front of our kids. Huh? That makes sense because it, you, it does seem like the people who came to it later in life are the ones that have to almost prove it more. Mm-hmm. Can I move on to chapter eight? Because the, chapter eight is the male archetype. chapter. I know you have something to say about this chapter. <laughs> So in chapter eight, Debbie Pearl wades into the Andrew Tate lane by declaring that there are three kinds of men. It is mm-hmm. not, in fact, alphas, uh, beta cucks, and sigma male grind set, hashtag millionaires club, hashtag rise and grind, hashtag same 24 hours. These three archetypes of men represent the three sides of God. So it's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. However, she then goes on to say that while some men represent a combination of the two no man can represent all three because if he could rep- represent all three then he would be perfect and the only person to ever represent all three is jesus but this doesn't make sense because jesus is also one of the three go- sides of god yeah. that is the basis for one of the debbie pearl masculine archetypes okay sigma grind set uh, <laughs> okay so uh, can i tell you about these uh three masculine archetypes please i desperately need to know who the three masculine archetypes are because they're just too funny the three masculine archetypes are uh mr command man which is based on god the father uh also worst superhero ever mr command man sounds like a man that laurie alexander would thirst after if he was foreman at a construction site (laughs) Okay. <laughs> There's a uh, Mr. Visionary who is based on the Holy Spirit, aka uh, Kanye West. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> he is a, he is a visionary. He is a genius. He is the greatest man of all time. And then there is Mr. Steady, uh, who is based on Jesus because Jesus is there all the time. So Mr. Steady is based on Jesus. But you can't be Mr. Command Man, Mr. Visionary, and Mr. Steady, which is. You can't be all okay. Yeah, in no, the the teen girl book that I referenced earlier, preparing to be a helpmate, there's kind of a personality test thing where you read about what kind of girl you are, and I think there are archetypes for women as well. And you were asked which of these three types of men do you think you could serve best? 
I would like to do a test of these at some point. I want to find out just so that what, like, like if we could do like bonus content, if we could get our hands on this survey. Well, what, what I can find a copy of that. What kind of man do you think Jonathan is? I think that Jonathan is, he's not a Mr. Command man. No, I, I'm kind of torn between visionary and steady. I would say he's probably more Mr. Visionary than Mr. Yeah, Steve. because he is like the the provider, like the he's very emotionally kind of a steady, stay the line kind of guy. But as far as like if one of us makes a grand plan and then the other one has to make the plan happen, he's the one making the plan. I'm the one doing the fine tuning organizational details. Uh, so, Sadie, which one do you think I am? Am I a uh, Mr. Command Man? Am I a Mr. Visionary? Or am I Mr. Steady? Oh, you're 100% Mr. Visionary. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I'm the Holy Spirit, and you, uh, if you get a <laughs> conviction of something, then I'm the one who's telling you to do that. No matter what that conviction is, that's me, <laughs> Mr. Visionary. Yeah, that, yeah, but dude, that sounds like you, because somebody has a bad idea, and you're like, yeah, man, go for it. <laughs> I'm the little devil on your shoulder saying <laughs> you are consistently that. Yes. You should, you should enter that hot dog eating contest. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Get that tattoo. Absolutely. I mean, if you text me like cat adoption pictures, I'm like, you should get that cat. You should get all of these cats. Honestly, they're all really cute. Like, okay. So, one- <laughs> so this, that is exactly the so last yesterday I was texting Gavi. You were like, literally texting cat adoption pro- profiles and he very literally is like yes get all the cats get 12 like, cats anyways more snarkable details on page 143 debbie pearl reveals that their church has an outhouse instead of a bathroom which oh and then proceeds to explain what an outhouse is quote for you city girls does anybody really not know what an out- outhouse is i don't know this like contributes to my thought that like debbie pearl just clearly has no life experience outside of her bubble and for as much as i think christian fundamentalists and people in this evangelical christian realm tend to speak poorly about people such as myself who have lived in major metropolitan areas on the coast for my entire life and say that I don't understand their way or people like me don't understand their way of life and don't get them. It's very clear that she has never actually spent any time outside of her bubble. And she's like, you guys are the weird ones for not going outside your bubble when she won't go outside hers either. So that just kind of felt weird to me that it it was just a weird Mm -hmm. disconnect. Like, oh, if you're from the city, you clearly don't know what an outhouse is. Right. Well, because they like to frame all city people as kind of useless and wimpy and weak. And we all know I'm all about the the practical life skills. And I've lived in Portland for, what's it been now, seven years? Yeah. Since 15? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, since 2016. But that doesn't mean I don't. And, and I am also, I'm not an outdoors type person in most scenarios. Like I do not sleep outside um that's it's not for good for you if it is for you it is really really not for me 
Um, but that doesn't mean I don't have any practical life skills. Like I can sew a skirt and bake a loaf of bread and fix a button just as good as you can, Debbie Pearl. I mean, I've, I've never been hunting, but they did teach us in sixth grade on our school like trip to camp how to identify edible mushrooms in the wild and how to identify edible berries. I think they just want to stereotype people that they've never met so that you'll be afraid to know them, which is a great way to well, create. They, they do because rural people like that get the impression that city people don't value them and their way of life. And I'm not going to start on like what I think are the deep rooted causes of all of this, because that could just be a whole episode, but they have a very strong perception that Northern people or city people don't value them, value their culture, traditions, or way of life. And I mean culture and traditions, not the racism and all the other stuff. And so they get defensive and it's, well, you can't even shoot a deer. Well, you can't even bake bread. Well, you don't even know how to use an outhouse. And putting down those city people as weak and useless is the retaliation for what they believe the city people think about them. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So this has been a, a, a nice detour, but we do need to get into one of the letters in this book that made me the most angry. Oh, go for it. This one really, this one really sucks. Um, there's a lot of victim blaming and just stupidity from Debbie on this. So this is the first letter. Oh, I'm in the wrong. I'm on the wrong page. Um, this is a letter from someone named Jill. Not J. Jill, not J. Rod that we know of. Uh, Jill wrote a letter to Debbie. She was upset because she had a tough day. She had a newborn and sick older children. Her husband comes home from work no how was your day he asked her two questions he asked her why is the place such a wreck and when will dinner be ready jill Ugh. writes quote 
what was I supposed to do? Reward this selfish jerk with loving service? I mean, this could be J-Rod. Yeah. I w- and I'm like, fair question, Jill. Um, Debbie responds, dear Jill, it is your duty, your job, and in your best interest to serve your husband. No one would dispute that Jill's husband is insensitive, but two wrongs do not make a good marriage. Always keep in mind that your job is to do a good job serving him, so planning ahead is a must. If Jill had done better at her job, her husband would not have been such a jerk. I think this is why quaaludes were invented. What, for me to deal with having to read this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go to the doctor. Tell, tell the doctor what your job <laughs> is to see if they'll give you quaaludes. Listen, I read horrible things for a living and then laugh about them with other people. I intentionally trigger myself for the (laughs) edification and entertainment of an audience of thousands. Uh, Please give me quaaludes. Badly explain (laughs) your job, Twitter thing. So, okay, number one, (laughs) some people are jerks no matter what you do. Like, there are some husbands or spouses in this situation where if their spouse were home all day with sick children and a newborn and they came in and the house was perfectly clean and dinner was on the table, they would find something to complain about. They would blame their spouse for the children being sick. They would blame theirs. They would complain about the quality of the dinner that was served. There are some people who will go out of their way to find something wrong with your performance, no matter how well you do. So. Number one, B of all, Debbie goes on to state that (laughs) you can, glad you like that. Debbie goes on to state that you can have a clean house and dinner ready, no matter how bad your day at home was been and how sick your children are. And it seems to me that that statement is dependent on having children who are trained by the to train up a child method. Uh, I just, okay, clean house, dinner cooked care for multiple sick children and a newborn. I think that some highly organized people who have the benefit, let's say that this person has the, is the birth giver and has the benefit of not being affected by postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or another postpartum mood disorder. Uh, Let's say that they had a easy birth and are having a very good and lucky recovery after having the baby and they've got they need a dinner cooked they need a clean house they need to care for sick children and a newborn i think somebody with the best luck in the best of circumstances could get two out of three of those things done i do not think there is anybody in the world who could get a perfect score on that Uh, so speaking of instant ramen though here's another this is a quote from a little further down responding to somebody else Always offer your children only one choice for breakfast. Several options will only confuse the child's spirit. Choices also give room for argument or discontentment. Providing the same simple food every morning, except maybe Saturday, causes a child to look forward to getting cereal on that one special morning. As Henry Ford said, you can have a car whatever color you like as long as it's black. Yeah, that's about Shoshana's beliefs. She also recommends the serving the same lunch every day as well that dude kids would not like that absolutely not like if i mean this is contrary to what shoshana was telling us about 
getting how getting a child to do a thing is easier if you give them a choice between two things. You literally texted me this today that you were used yes. to giving your kid a choice between two things, but one of the options was right. One of the options was not available, and it threw off my game. <laughs> so, but yeah, you you tell your kid it is it, it's an essential part of holding boundaries with a kid, um, especially if you were going to not hit your child you still need your child to do the things you need them to do. You, and you have a life to live as an adult. So you say, it is bedtime. That's the boundary. The boundary is that it, it is bedtime. Now, the choice is, would you like to walk up the stairs or would you like mom to carry you? Or the choice could be, would you like mom to carry you or dad to carry you? Or if you don't have, if you don't have a staircase, the this choice could be, would you like to hop down the the wall the hallway like a frog or would you like to twirl down the hallway like a ballerina and so you've set your boundary your boundary is that it is bedtime but you're giving the kid choices and agency right up to that boundary that you've set um <clears throat> but debbie pearl doesn't believe in all of that uh she also suggests that you not only serve them the same breakfast every day but also the same lunch on paper plates or napkins because that keeps the cleaning work down so then you don't have as much to clean to keep the house clean for the man. It, it's a clear example of how, like, not only is your entire life as a wife supposed to revolve around the man, the whole family is to the point of sacrificing your kid's nutritional needs for that. Well, psychology was clearly invented. Uh, I'm not going to say that because that doesn't. Um, but, I mean, the, the paper plates is the wild thing to me. I had a roommate in college who used styrofoam plates instead of like having actual flatware and i was perturbed by it i was it's a totally valid um mental health tool like i know people who have executive functioning problems and really like dishes and kitchen is one thing they really struggle with so they use paper plates on purpose i think there's a lot of valid reasons to do it but just so your house can be perfect for your husband is not my favorite. Yeah, I... Mm. There's a letter we're probably not fully going to get to later in the book where a woman writes in that she needs four hours a week for meditation and self-actualization. But she's having trouble getting in her hours because of her five children. Debbie rips her a new one. Debbie says, quote, your seeking of self-actualization in the name of spirituality is a mixture of foolish psychology and emotional, emotional insecurity. You are part of a trend sweeping through church women's circles, a pursuit of intimacy and deep feelings apart from your husband. Don't feel any feelings if your husband's not there, folks. Ooh. This inner self-stimulation is what my husband calls spiritual masturbation. It has nothing to do with the God of the Bible. God does not call women to be mountaintop gurus. Wow. So that, it, it does illuminate what Debbie thinks about psychology and meditation, but also she literally told this woman, don't have deep feelings unless your husband is there to hear them and he's in the right mood and you fed him and had sex with him and taking care of the home and your children. And you know what? It, it just might be better not to have any feelings of your own at all. Just let your husband do all the thinking and the feeling. And by the way, emotional intimacy with yourself is cheating on your husband. Uh, 
Yeah, speaking of sex, I think we need to talk about Micah's letter. There's one from Micah in chapter 16, and then there's one from James G in chapter 19. And I think we need to put those side by side and take a look. And trigger warning, this is going to get graphic about men's expectations of sex in the Fundy world, marital rape, and also some sexual violence that I have experienced and some that I have narrowly avoided in my lifetime. Okay, so I'm going to read this letter. This is a letter from Micah. I am in a dilemma and I need you guys to write my wife and tell her what I say is true. My wife thinks I am a sex pervert because I need sex. She feels I am not sensitive to her needs when I want sex and she doesn't, which is most of the time. She will give me sex, but it hurts her feelings that I do not love her enough to consider her first. I tried to explain to her that to a man, sex is just like having to eat. When I have missed a meal, I unconsciously roam the kitchen, opening cabinet doors, and peer into the refrigerator, looking and looking. I told her that a few days without sex leaves me in the same condition sexually. No matter how much I love her and I respect her feelings and needs, I still have this overwhelming sexual need that drives me until it is satisfied. There are a few times when everything is just right for her. She is exhausted or has a backache or has not healed down there or whatever she comes up with. Mm -hmm. I tried to explain to her that she is setting me up for temptation and that really sets her off. Now I am not only a pervert, I am also unfaithful in my heart. So she is upset every time a good looking girl walks by. Please tell her I just downright need my woman. That's the bottom line. I am normal. All guys need a woman. She said I made it until I was 23 without sex, so why do I have to have it now? I told her when I was single, I did not have to see one undress or lie in the bed and know I could if I wanted to. I just want to come home and be a family man. I want to crawl into bed at night with a woman who is glad I am her man, and I want to make love every few days so I don't have to think about the girls at work. Would you write her and explain all this to her? Maybe if she heard it from you, she might understand that I have feelings too, physical feelings as well as emotional feelings. From Micah. Oh, man. Okay. There is so much to unpack here. First of all, Micah, get it together. Chew on some ice or something. Fix something around the house. Maybe put some sports on or something. I, like you, you, sh- you straight up cannot just go around being horny all the time, dude. You're not 17. You're a grown ass man. Like, get a f- grip. I like. I'm hungry for you. Like a starving man needs a good meal. Like that could be a good line, but not like this, my dude. Huh. Yeah, but what he's saying here is not. Baby, you're so hot. I gotta have you. Let me make you want. Let me get you on my level. What he's saying is, I'm hungry and you're the only restaurant open this late. So he's referencing, quote, not healed right down there, which is a big WTF for me, bro. Yeah. I Is, is she like postpartum? Is that what he's talking about? And he says that she's like making it up. Yeah, it like is- whatever she, whatever else she comes up with. So, okay, it's not clear because this could be two things. 
it could be like she had a baby and she does not feel like she's healed enough or does not feel like it's been a while, but she doesn't feel like she healed correctly, which is an issue for a doctor. Take your wife to a pelvic floor therapist. Or she could also be referencing like maybe the last time that they did have sex, she had a tear or some irritation. This is definitely something that can happen. Some people are more vulnerable to it than others, but especially if you think about a, a man who does not care about his partner's pleasure, that could hypothetically make that sort of thing way more likely. I mean, there's also a such thing as overdoing it. I know a lot of people yeah. think that like anything worth doing is worth overdoing. That's not the case. Right. It's And so it could be that he is too rough and hurting her. Or it could be that she had a baby. And either way, it's his own damn fault. And he can just like maybe respect his partner's bodily autonomy and respect their body. Like their your partner's body is the vehicle that their soul lives in. And that's the part that you're supposed to be in love with. Like, come on, have some basic respect. This dude has no I like it it was that line and it was the line about so I don't have to think about the girls at work that really revealed I think what kind of man Micah is. Somehow I think that if he was getting it five times a day, then he would still be thinking about the girls at work. Michael and Debbie Pearl's reason for printing this is to say, Hey ladies, you need to give it to your man whenever he wants it. No excuses. This is the outcome if you don't. Don't we feel bad for this man? It's his wife's fault that he's like this. Instead of just yeah. recognizing this dude is a knuckle dragging like mouth breather. I don't know. This like he needs to get it together and just uh, man. Yeah, this this letter is printed like, "Oh, this poor man. Don't you see what his wife is doing to him?" And it is printed, this quote is actually printed twice on this single page of the book. It's page 162 in my copy. This letter starts chapter 16 for anyone following along at home. God's ultimate goal is for you to meet your man's needs. Nothing about your needs. Nothing about anything. You don't have needs. You are, a, you are serving God. I want to pair that though before, because we could go on an entire tangent about Micah's letter. But I think if we put it together with this other letter from chapter 19, it will give us like a, a more full picture. So the letter from chapter 19 is an unmarried man's perspective. This is from James G. Dear Mr. Pearl, I am a 24 year old male and looking for a wife. It is not as easy as it seems to find a decent girl. I want one who not only says she is decent, but looks as though she is. A friend of mine married one of the girls of the church. She wasn't the most chaste dresser, but he was sure once they were married, she would sober up. She says she does not feel convicted about how she dresses, and he can only push so far to change her. I avoid him since he married, because I got aroused the whole time I was around them due to the way his wife dresses. It leaves me disgusted, frustrated, and angry that a stupid, silly girl can cause so much trouble. Sometimes I feel my own body betrays me, but I know I am a normal male with a normal need. And the problem lies with females dressing so godless. Anybody who refers to women as females is just a walking red flag. Yeah, but did you notice a phrase that was shared between 
J- uh, James and Micah's letters right there. Which phrase? I am normal. I am normal. This is to be expected. My feelings are not only valid, but, but normal. This is how all men think. Back to James's letter. Talk about dishonoring a man. All the rest of the younger females in church dress as bad or worse. I had rather not get married than end up with a silly wife like her. Seeing Jacob embarrassed by his wife scares the rest of us unmarried men, because as much as we want to get married, we sure do not want to end up being dishonored as he has been. I want a girl who has not encouraged a thousand other guys to commit sight adultery with her by how she dresses. I want a woman I can be proud to call my own little hidden treasure. How can a man ever trust a woman who, before she got married, let it all hang out for everyone to see? I guess the big question for me is, how do we single men find chaste girls to marry? Girls who are not interested in how sexy they can dress. Signed, James G. So, sight adultery isn't a term that I had heard before. Oh, really? I would have thought you would have, I would have thought that you had seen that one. Uh, I just, I think personally, I prefer someone who has tempted at least a thousand other people into sight adultery. Um, But also wanted to say that all y'all ladies and AFABs and everybody else who don't prefer to commit sight adultery with anyone are beautiful and valid too. I've heard terms like broke purity in my mind and, and, and that mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, committed adultery in your heart. Yeah. I, I, I just haven't heard sight adultery before. So Micah is referencing have to look at the girls at work and then put that side to side with James G. I got aroused the whole time I was around them due to the way his wife dresses. It leaves me disgusted, frustrated, and angry that a stupid, silly girl can cause so much trouble. I think we get a fuller picture of what these men have been taught to believe about themselves because both of these men in their letters repeat, I am normal, I am normal. These men believe, truly, that the women around them are fully in control of the men's bodies and reactions. They believe that being aroused by someone is almost akin to an assault. If you look at the way that James is writing about women, he clearly feels a sense of being violated by a woman, quote unquote, making him have sexual feelings. He has no normal, healthy, psychological or physical outlet when he is, quote unquote, made to feel these feelings. And he feels so frustrated that a woman can, quote unquote, make that happen, that he resorts to name calling this poor girl, grown woman, married woman, who is literally probably wearing a skirt just above her knees and a short sleeve t-shirt that maybe almost shows cleavage. This is such creepazoid behavior, though. This is the type that I encountered constantly on internet forums when I was doing research for a manosphere deep dive that i did it's man yeah and i think the really like the terrifying thing is that i have had real life men or uh, at least one real life man treat me like this like in real life when i was at hiles anderson so i was hac hac student not failing dress check fully following their dress code I had a man speak to me in this exact language about how uncontrollably aroused he was every time he was in a room with me and how violently angry he felt every time that it happened. And this guy was like very muscular, like not a big dude, but really strong. And I was five foot six and at my smallest adult size because I was eating Hiles Anderson dining hall food. I, I don't, I like, I still, 
I was already into like not knowing my weight way back then, but I would guess I maybe weighed 135. I was in like a size 810 dress and had no physical conditioning. Like I was not, I'm a lot bigger and tougher now. And this guy was incredibly strong and he's threatening me with actual violence because he is too turned on by me in my Hiles Anderson dress code outfits. And this was considered normal behavior. To me at the time, I thought this was just what all guys thought. And this particular guy just trusted me enough to tell me. And then I wore a literal trench coat for like six months straight in order to not be a temptation. And I think I may still have the jacket. And if I do, I may need to do like a sexy photo shoot in it to uh, come full circle on this whole issue. (laughs) This is such like an upsetting thing to say. And I guess like joking about it is a good way to get through this. But like this dude was literally threatening you with violence. Be like he was threatening you with violence in front, like in the room with and while university faculty were yes. listening, were there having this conversation, and he was saying these things to you. And they were, and because he believed the things that Michael and Debbie Pearl were writing in this book, and the university, or it wasn't the university, excuse me, the college didn't do anything about it because they believed the same stuff that Michael and Debbie Pearl were saying in this book. And I've really tried to protect our listeners from the details of his threats because I know our listeners like love me and care about me. And I know that's difficult to hear about somebody that you care about. And I want to not unnecessarily hurt listeners who care about me as a person. But I, I think that first, non-consensually telling somebody how you fantasize about them is a form of sexual violence. It is obviously not on the same level as a sexual assault, but it is a not okay thing to do to somebody and is actually harmful. But he was also telling me about real world violence that he intended to commit against me and how he was going to do it and how he was planning to do it. And it's because, like you said, it's because of these exact teachings because James says, I am normal. I am normal. I am normal. It is normal for me to feel violently angry with self-hatred and hatred against any person who makes me feel turned on. And if she would just cover up more, I wouldn't have this anger. Yeah. I mean, and so as much as we like to snark on the stuff that's written in this book, as much as we like to joke about how ludicrous it is, this book is a very real way of life, as real as the Bible to some people. Like this book is why Anna will never leave Josh. This book is why Josh won't ever show remorse for his crimes. This book is why abusers are welcome back to the church whole cloth. And if a man is an abuser, his wife is the one who has to take the fall. And it just sucks to read. I hated this book so much. I hated every minute of that I had to use uh, of my time writing this. I don't know. If I, I don't know if I hate this book or to train up a child more. I think maybe to train up a child I hate more because we can definitely link that book to literal deaths, but this is a close second. Yeah, this was, um, this one is harder for me to read. Um, I thought about, I, I thought it was really important to close the episode on those male perspectives because we often wonder about how much the men in this system buy into what they've been told about themselves. We did an episode um, 
back in spring 2022, which would probably be a good companion piece to this with Eric Skorzenski of Preacher Boys. And we were talking about how these teachings materially harm men as well. So the teachings of this book can be summed up as always smile, always do what your husband says, even when he's wrong. Let him make every decision. Don't criticize him. Don't be negative. Have sex whenever he wants it enthusiastically, no matter what, or he will cheat on you and it will be your fault. And even if you still do all these things and he cheats on you, it's still your fault. Take away every part of yourself that you possibly can and live as one flesh and become an extension of your husband. We could have dissected every page of this book and found a lot more material, but the book is kind of a spiral layout, which is similar to how Ch To Train Up a Child is. Um, they will introduce a topic and then expound on it and then introduce another topic and then add to the first topic. So a lot of it can be repetitive. And what I wanted to do with this episode is not snark on every detail, but illustrate a few things. I think people who are not raised in this world would have a lot of trouble getting their heads around this, like how bad we get the question meant in a truly respectful, meant and phrased in a truly respectful manner. How bad was it really? And it's not many, many times the people asking that question are not meaning to invalidate. They are truly asking in good faith. They, they, want to know and they can't comprehend the things that we are telling them. People who were not raised in this can really miss how misogyny in Christian patriarchy and Christian fundamentalism truly works its way into every single part of life. And they just don't understand how fully the fundamentalists mean it when they say that women's only use is being wives and mothers. It's I don't blame people raised on the outside. And I, I think many times when people like that ask questions, they are coming from a full good faith perspective and just don't, can't wrap their brains around it. But people who were raised in this sometimes don't understand how bad it was either. We're taught to self-gaslight in fundamentalism. And now that we're out, I think it can be a lasting effect of fundamentalism because i will say sometimes i feel like a person but sometimes i can't quite see myself as an entire person and my brain wants to self-gaslight oh you're just being dramatic you're trying to be all woe is me my life has been so tough and i have to i love having this reference material because a book like this proves to me and to you, if you experienced this as well, that we were dehumanized by these teachings and that they did get deeply into our brains and influence our understanding of ourselves. I spent my formative years trying to make there be less of me so that I could fit into some man's life one day and become an extension of him. I read this book and I believed it. And maybe you did too. This book proves what we've been saying all along speaking to other people like me who were raised in this and are now trying to deconstruct all of it this book shows us that it really was that bad and that now that i'm trying to make more of me and become more of myself as time goes on when i get lost and i feel like i don't really know what i'm doing and i feel like becoming myself is so overwhelming and difficult going through this book 
shows me why that is so hard for me. And it made me feel really tough, honestly. I had a tough time reading a lot of the the things in this book and talking about it, but as I got to the end of it, I think I came to an appreciation of how tough I am to have broken out of that, to be in the process of breaking out of that. And of course, that applies to all the rest of y'all too, who went through this with me and are now making more of yourself and becoming yourself. So congrats to me. I worked hard for this and I deserve it. But congrats to all the rest of you as well. And I hope that you all feel tough and strong and brave too at the end of this really difficult book. I was just thinking about what you were saying about people not knowing how bad it was. I mean, that was me when we first started the show. And it's important to have books like this because you get to see, yes, this is a real thing that's enforced. And one thing I keep reminding myself is that at the beginning of the book, the copy that I have was, uh, or the version that I have, the ebook that I have is the 2010 publication. And the tw- in the 2010 version, it says how many copies were printed and more than 350,000 copies of this book were printed and I assume distributed and sold to people. So that's a lot of people that this teaching got enforced onto. And it's important for like myself to remind myself of that. Okay, we got we got to wrap because Chuck is up. Ugh. I think. So, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Uh, next week, we're going to start our Halloween content. Yay! Something that's actually it might be traumatic because we're going to be uh, <laughs> a different. It's a different kind of trauma, and that's the best you're going to get around here. Trauma. Yeah, we're going to be reviewing a Christian horror movie called A Thief in the Night. I'm excited for this. Sadie's excited for this. It should be fun. I have not seen this movie since I was fundy, so I'm actually pretty jazzed. Um, we are letting you know in advance. Uh, a Thief in the Night is a rapture movie. So all in time stuff is going to be on the table for discussion next week on October 23rd. And I know there's a significant percentage of our listeners who just cannot do in times and revelation stuff. So we are providing two Halloween episodes this year. One will be on the 23rd and one will be on the 30th for the streaming versions of those episodes. The second one will be a safer episode for people who cannot do in time stuff. It's still about hell though. So it's still about hell, but it's more, <laughs> it's more, in, it's more investigative. It's more of a Paul Sand type episode, more like kind of clinical. So I want to, I really want to be a safe place for the rapture trauma folks because I know that it runs deep. I really need y'all to hear me. When I say that if you need to fully skip the episode, please do. I really support, I, I deal with a lot of my trauma by pushing myself and re-exposing myself to things that I know will trigger me and working through it. So that's totally valid. That's how I tend to handle things. But if that's not something you're ready to do, please take care of yourself. I don't want to hurt anybody's mental health as we have fun talking about this very, very... uh christian b movie do you remember it being a good movie or a bad movie oh no it's it's not it's not a good movie i don't it doesn't make a lot of sense okay so i am excited to watch this maybe i will you are going to be so confused because 
you would have to know the evangelical beliefs about all of this stuff for it to make sense. You're not going to have any idea like what they're referencing, and I'm going to have to explain it. This will give us a intro because I, at some point in the near future, I know we've been teasing this for a while, that we're going to talk about the book of Revelations, end times, stuff like that. So that's going to be really good. Um, I told Gavi we needed a 12-episode series. He said, absolutely not. <laughs> we're in negotiations, folks. Yeah, maybe some number of it. We're going to talk about revelations, the text, and then we're going to talk about some theories around it. That's the plan. We don't know when we're, but Sadie's like, I have 12 books about this. And I'm just like, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> cut it down to six and we'll talk. Um, but, uh, uh, no, but seriously, every time Sadie's like, I need to read an entire book for the research for this episode, it's like, okay, great. Now this episode's going to take three weeks to make and we're going to be <laughs> up against a deadline. Uh, but that's kind of- like the, missing things. It really bugs me if I miss something. Well, I mean, if it goes too long, then I end up chopping it and putting it on the Patreon anyway. So it's- I, but, It's I mean, the balance of power in this podcasting partnership. Thank you guys for tuning in. We will see you guys next week. Uh, once again, if you like our show, you can join our Facebook group, join our subreddit. Both of those are called Eden Exodus. You can subscribe to our Patreon for the extended version of today's episode where I talk about uh, how Bluebell ice cream is overrated. And uh, yeah, I, I made some rage bait for you there uh, if you are a fan of Bluebell ice cream especially if you're a fan of the butter pecan bluebell ice cream Sadie's dad was so fond of. Uh, that's available on our Patreon. If you want to um, follow us on social media, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and threads at Leaving Eden Podcast. Uh, Sadie, do you want to plug your socials? You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter one. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye.